Today on this edition of the Four City Church Podcast, teaching pastor Chad Brugman has part two of the series, One Shot. Today's message is 67 AD. We are in a series that is called One Shot. Now this is, if I'm being honest, this is a difficult series for me because I've just always gone with the idea as a preacher that whatever I'm preaching on that week is the single most important subject in the history of the world for that week, right? And so it's really hard for someone wired the way I am, super analytical to come up with like, what if I had one shot, that's the whole idea of this series. If you're visiting is, uh, there's gonna be different preachers every week and being like, if you had one shot to say one thing to the amazing people at Forest City, what would you say? And, and this was hard because I was thinking, well, I already did that because when I got invited for the first time to preach last September, if any of you were here for that, that was my one shot. I never assume any church is gonna ask me back, right? I'm a bit of an odd duck. And so I get it. I'm not even offended if they don't. And I didn't know I would be back all the time with you guys. And so I, I would say, if you want, go back and listen to that message because it's a one shot message and it's my heart. And then I was thinking, well, secondly, what I would probably say if uh, I had another shot would be what Eric talked about last week. It was amazing, right? How we love each other as human beings. If you missed that, I challenge you, just go back and listen to that. And so this isn't just my one shot. I'll say this is my third shot because this is what I'm going with. But here's why I believe so deeply in what I'm about to talk to you guys about. Because the exercise I did to decide what we were going to talk about in God's word today was I thought about my four children. Those of you who are newer, I, yeah, I've, I've got four kids. I've said it before, I'll say it again. I should have had two, um, but it is what it is, and we love them all, and we're keeping them all, but I should have had two. So I got four kids, and I was thinking to myself, if I got one shot, I'm going to talk to you guys today, if, you, if you'll let me, like I'm just talking to my kids about Jesus. Like, I, I want them to know this about Jesus. This is, the, this is one of so many things, but such an important thing. I want them to know about Jesus. And the reason I'm, I would be talking to my kids today, although they're 16 and under, uh, and I'm talking to you that way, is just because the Bible says if, if we want to enter the kingdom, we got to come in it like what? Like children. And we're just, we're just kids with mortgages, that's all. Come on, let's be honest, right? We're just kids adulting. We're just kids with bills. So I'm going to do this message for my kids, although they're not here today. I'm gonna I'm I'm pretend like they're sitting in the front row. And this is what I so badly want them to know about Jesus. And this is so badly what I want you to know about Jesus. I'm gonna pray, and the reason I am is because sitting in this worship service today, I just felt something in my heart. I could tell Carrington. Don't you guys wish Carrington cared a little bit more about his job? Don't you wish he loved Jesus a little more? My goodness, I love that guy. Challenged me so much. I love that guy. But I was sitting there and I felt something go. I felt God just being like, I want to do, I want to do good things for people today. I want people walking out full of joy. I paid, I, I spilt blood for joy. He spilt blood for, for peace. He spilt blood for, for us to embrace the grace as hard as it is to wrap our mind around grace and mercy. He spilt innocent blood so that we could have that. And what a, what a crisis and shame it would be if we walk out of these doors and we don't feel more peace and more joy and more grace and more mercy than we walked in with because this is what Jesus came to do. And so uh, let's just do two things. I want us all to take a deep breath, right? You realize it's the most fundamental gift we've been given is breath. It's the thing you can live the, the shortest without. Nothing. So can we just all real quick, just take a big inhale. All right, we're here. We're present, okay? And let's give this moment to Jesus because I believe he wants to do miracles. Jesus, we just love you. We're here because of you. We're your children. 
We know how much you loved us for you so loved the world that you died for us. And all you ask us to do is just believe in your goodness, believe in your kindness that just leads us to repentance. And so Jesus, we just ask in these next couple minutes that your grace would be here in such a powerful way. We ask that your goodness and your kindness would pave the way for us to walk out of these doors and be the people we're supposed to be for the next seven days until we meet again. Jesus, we love you and all this is for you. May we honor you by how we worship you and how we listen to you. And it's in your name we pray and everyone said... Amen. So I'm going to build from one sentence in the Bible. It's found in Isaiah chapter 46. And if you're going to hear this verse here in a minute, you wouldn't think that's your one shot. That's the one thing you want to tell us, this one verse. He knows the end from the beginning. Like, that's cool. That's neat. But that's your one shot. And the reason I wanted to start there and build from that all day is because I think that is the most underestimated, underrated, under-talked about, under-preached about, underdeveloped idea about who God is. He knows the end from the beginning. It's only mentioned twice in the scriptures as one of his character traits. We have a theological term for this. He knows the end from the beginning. It's called omniscience. He's omniscience, right? But he's also this thing we call omnipresent, which means God not only knows everything, but he's everywhere all the time. Doesn't that blow your mind? Because we're bound, we're humans, right? So we're bound by what they call the space-time continuum. We live in moments, we live in seconds. All we really have that's real today is just today. But do you know God is his present 2,000 years ago on Calvary whenever that moment happened with Christ? God is his present there right now as he is here right now. And I have no clue, God help us, whatever's gonna, earth is gonna look like 1,000 years from now. But do you know 1,000 years from now, whatever's happening in earth and in heaven, God is his present there right now as he is here right now? We, don't under, we can't fully grasp that because we are, ba- we are bound by time and space right now. That's why God in Isaiah says his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. It's not because he thinks he's better than us and he's just, he's them and this is us. He, he, he loves us. It's just that he's not bound by what we are currently bound by right now. God knows the end from the beginning. And that's, again, hard to wrap your mind around. But, but here's why it's such good news. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to illustrate it today in the life of Christ. The reason that is such good news is because once you have tasted and seen, and some of you in this room, in fact, most of you in this room, like Carrington was up here talking about how good God's been to him. We sang about it. I have tasted in my 48 years, I have tasted and seen how good God is. Has life always been good? No, not even close. Really difficult times you and I have walked through. But I have, I have seen in the land of living how good God is. I have, no one can convince me otherwise because I've just tasted and seen too much of the goodness of God in the land of the living. So here's the deal. When you have a God you serve that knows the end from the beginning, even though you don't, but you fully know and trust that he is good, that is actually some of the best news on planet earth. And I'm gonna do my best in my own own broken human way to illustrate this in the next few minutes that he knows the end from the beginning. And I'll start with this. I learned this character trait of God and his goodness in my early 20s a little bit the hard way. It was a little bit embarrassing, but I'll be honest, we're in church. I was in my 20s. I was down the road at another church in Rockford that I loved dearly, and I was interning to be a pastor. And I was a new, newer believer. I was still this baby Christian. My faith was very sincere but it was very small and weak, right? Just like babies are. I was a spiritual baby. And so I'm in this internship. It's in a three-year internship. And uh, there's 12 of us guys in this internship for three years studying to be pastors. And you you can imagine when you do life together for for three straight years with the same 12 guys, you get to be close, right? It's It's like a fraternity because you just, you do everything together. And we were super close. And in my third year of that internship, 
there was a real weird dynamic that took place, uh, unique, because 11 of the 12 guys in the internship, all at that point, either had a girlfriend, a fiance, and two of them even had wives, and they were amazing women of God. There was one guy on the team out of the 12 that was as single as single could possibly be. And you know who that guy was? <laughs> this guy right here with the white shirt and coffee stains over it. That, it was me right here. And, and I'm still a baby Christian, and so my faith is small, and so I'm starting to get in my head a bit. It really was having mind games with me because I just assumed, oh, we're all studying to be pastors. They all got these great, incredible uh, girlfriends and fiancés and wives and women of God, and then here I am as single as possible, and I start going over, you know, works-based religion. I start thinking about, well, I pray more than them, and I do, you know, and so I drove to the sanctuary one Friday night. The stars aligned. I'll never forget it. I was 25 years old. The stars aligned. It was a Friday night. I'm 25. I'm supposed to be out having fun, doing my thing, right, enjoying my youth, and I drive to the sanctuary like a big dork to pray because 11 of the 12 guys besides me were all on dates with their significant others. And those were my friends. So I was like, all right, Jesus, you gotta be my friend tonight, okay? So I'm coming to, and I went in and I started praying back. No, that's not true. I went in and I passionately started whining to God. You ever do that, right? You whine to God. I'm whining to God and I'm just walking back and forth, God. And I'm like, I don't understand this. 11 out of the 12 of them all have amazing women and I don't have anything, God. And I love Jesus just as much. Greg, God, hasn't prayed in a month. I've prayed every day this month and his fiance is awesome, God. I don't understand that. God, Sean isn't even saved right now, Lord. And I don't, and he's got an amazing wife right? I don't even believe in losing your salvation. He has lost his salvation, God. I know because I'm around him every day and I'm just, woe is me, God. Always the groomsman, never the groom. Like, you know, and I, God doesn't speak to me oddly, but if he did in that moment, I just picture him looking down and being like, gross. The whole time I'm just like, gross, stop, please stop, right? Like, and I'm just whining back and forth. But, but remember what God knows that we don't? He knows the end from the beginning, right? And I told you I was 25 the night I was praying those prayers about this wife that had escaped me. <laughs> and what I haven't told you yet is that my now wife of 18 years is nine years younger than me. Can we do some quick math for a city? Right? She's 25. I'm 25, excuse me. She's 16. So it's like if God again could have spoke, he doesn't speak audibly to me, but if he could have spoke audibly to me, he would have been like, son, I understand your situation, but do you really want to know where your wife's at? And I'd be like, yeah, God, that's why I'm in the sanctuary on a Friday night praying like a big dork because I want to know where my wife's at. Where is she? And he's like, she's at the DMV, son. Pump the brakes, <laughs> right? Like you can, you can quit praying about this. This is not a spiritual issue, son. This is a statutory issue. That's it. Don't over-spiritualize it. Go have some fun. Go to Chili's. Watch a movie, all right? She's going to come your way. Like my wife, uh, I, I wish more of you guys could know her. She is just the greatest gift that I've had in my life. She's not perfect. She's broken like the rest of us. She's got issues like the rest of us. But my wife is such a special woman, and I deeply, deeply love her, and I do not take her one day for granted because of who she is and the gift that uh, it's been to get to partner in this life with her and raise children with her. Such a gift. And I, I didn't know, yeah, I love to brag on my wife. Wish she was here to hear it. I'd get some points. But I say it to her face all the time because it's just true. It's just true. She's such a blessing to me. But she was 16 at the time, and it's interesting because I'm down here doing what we've been doing since the Garden of Eden. In fact, the first, the first sin that was ever uh, took place was because two people bought into a lie from the enemy that God was trying to withhold good from them. You realize that, right? 
That's what spurred on the first disobedience to God and the first thing called sin that brought all the chaos into this world was they bought into a lie from the enemy like I did in that sanctuary that God was trying to withhold good from them. And it's just not true. God wasn't trying in that moment to withhold good from me. He was trying to keep me out of prison. <laughs> you understand that? Like she's 16, her, she's from Alabama. Her dad has more guns than Bibles. Like God was trying to protect a brother in that moment. God was trying to keep me safe. You understand that? He had my best interest in mind because he knows the end from the beginning. And what I would want my kids to know if they were sitting here today that I want all of us to know, and I'm just preaching to myself today, y'all, is I want you to know that even when things don't make sense, even when time frames are not lining up the way you would assume they would have lined up if you really do serve a good God. I promise you, if we just keep letting this thing called life play out and we anchor ourselves in hope, we continue in our faith, we continue to believe the best when all hell's breaking loose on the outside, when we're going through hell and high water and we're going through difficult circumstances, we relentlessly hold on to the fact that not only God knows the end of this story from the beginning, but he is good and he is for you and something out of this is going to turn into something holy for your good so you just keep holding on. That's what I'd want my kids to know because my kids, let's be honest, man, I'm not going to lie to my kids. Life is a roller coaster and your faith does not excuse you from the roller coaster of this life. You understand that? Let me tell you, if you're not a person of faith but you're here and you're interested, I want to tell you, you deserve to hear the truth. Your faith in God does not exempt you from difficulty. In fact, sometimes your faith will exacerbate difficulties. Jesus said, right, in this world you will have trouble. Don't you appreciate his honesty there? James said, consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance and perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking any good thing. Paul says suffering produces perseverance, perseverance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope will not disappoint. In this world, the roller coaster of life and difficulty and trial and suffering, and are you ready for this one? Hypocrisy. We're going to look at a hypocrite today and Jesus' walk with a hypocrite. We're going to look at someone that just continually had uh, this dualistic nature in life. We're going to look at someone that Jesus had as a friend in his life that was just up one minute and down the next. That's how I'm going to illustrate this. He knows the end from the beginning is we're going to look at the Apostle Peter. I love looking at the bio of the Apostle Peter. I say this all the time. I want to learn in the Bible from Paul, but I want to party with Peter. Because I don't even think Paul would like me. I'm not disciplined enough. I'm not rigid enough. I'm not as committed as he is. I wish I was, but the guy's just like otherworldly. But Pete's just a hot mess of, of ups and downs. He's, he's, a, he's a walking, dualistic, duplicit human being who one minute, one minute is just crushing it for the kingdom of God, and then the next minute, uh, God's saying, get behind me, Satan. You do not have it, right? You know what I'm saying? And I re you may not. You may be super godly and more like Paul. I celebrate you. But here's the deal. I relate to Pete. Pete was a fisherman by trade. I don't relate there. I haven't caught a fish in 10 years. No good at it. He's a blue-collar guy. Pete was uh, hot-headed. I know what that's like sometimes. He was impetuous. He's a natural-born leader. And to me, leadership is simply this. You just go first. I know there's more to it than that, but at the end of the day, leaders just go first. And, and if you read Peter's bio backwards and forwards, he's always going first. And sometimes it turns out real beautiful, and sometimes it's just a hot mess. He gets it totally wrong. 
but he's a leader, and Jesus would call him in his hypocrisy to continue being a leader. He's a risk taker. I don't know about you, but life's short. Let's take some risks. Jesus knows the end from the beginning. He will get his way, the Bible says. His purposes will prevail. Let's take some risks, right? Peter's a risk taker. That challenges me. I love that. He's passionate. I'm a super passionate person. That's why I walk back and forth and spit the whole time I'm up here is because I believe the good news that I'm talking about. I'm passionate, but if, but if you're like me and you're passionate, you know there's a shadow side to everything, right? And the shadow side to passion is impulsivity. And he's super impulsive. And I know I've been impulsive in so many occasions in my life. Most human beings are, are, are like this. They're, they're ready, aim, fire. Not me and Pete. We're ready, fire, aim. That's how we live life. And it doesn't always go well. It's just, it's who we are. I deeply relate to this because I don't have a college degree and I barely graduated high school. Peter was uneducated and Jesus let him lead. He didn't have a plaque on the wall. He didn't get to go through the typical temple rabbinical training that all of the other Pharisees and Sadducees and teachers of the law would have gotten to go through. In fact, there's one time he's standing up in court and in Acts, it said they were amazed at his ability to speak when he was such a highly uneducated person. But we know what it is now. It was the power of God speaking through him, right? Didn't have to have that plaque on the wall. Didn't have to let that part of his story bring him down. I don't have any plaques on the wall. No offense if that bothers you but that's just my story. And yet I still, by God's and it's his grace alone, get to stand up on stages like these and preach the good news about Jesus Christ. You understand what a gift that is? I didn't deserve that. I don't qualify for that. But you know why he lets me? He knows the end from the beginning and he's good. He sees things in me and he believes things in me and he believes things in you that you can't even fully see in yourself right now. And if you can't relate to all of this bio about the Apostle Pete, now here's where we all relate to him. He's a complete and total work in progress. And that is you and me. And let me, let me remind us of something. Your work in progress that you are right now is real inconvenient to people around you. It's real bothersome to you sometimes that you're still a work in progress, is it not? It's frustrating. It's like, God, you saved us. Why couldn't you save us instantly? Why couldn't you sanctify us instantly? Can I get an amen for that? Wouldn't that be nice? You saved us in a second. Why can't you sanctify us in a second? And that's above my pay grade, but this is how God has chosen to do it. We are still works in progress. And the beauty about Jesus, this is why we love God first and foremost, with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, with all our strength. It's not because he's needy and narcissistic. It's because nobody has your best interest in mind. Nobody wants better for you. Nobody believes more in you than the one who knit you together in your mother's womb. My wife, who's my favorite human on planet Earth, as good as she is to me and as much good as she has for me, she is still in her own life broken. That's why I don't love her first and foremost with all my heart, soul, mind, strength. I love God first. And the outflow, we love because he what? He first loved us. And this is just one day when I got one shot and pretending if my kids were here to let them know and let you know just how loved you are and how patient Jesus is with you and I. So when I'm reading about the Apostle Peter's highs and lows for the next few minutes, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do a quick bio of some of his highs and lows. I want you to superimpose yourself into the story. Because God's no respecter of persons. God doesn't show favoritism, the Bible says. The same things that apply to the Apostle Peter apply to you and I. And so I'm gonna do this, though. I'm gonna reverse engineer his story for a second because I want us to start with his last day on earth and then we'll go back to the beginning of him and Jesus' relationship. In 67 AD, in Rome, the 
Christian movement was spreading rapidly, like super fast, to the point where Rome for the first time was starting to feel a little bit of a threat by, the, by, by how many people were starting to um, not just call Caesar God, but they were starting to call this unknown God, Jesus God, and it bothered them. So, so what, what do you do when you're trying to hold on to empire? You kill the person at the top, right? The Bible says this, if you smite the shepherd, the sheep will scatter. So, so Rome's gonna do what they do. They're gonna take out Pete. Makes sense. We take out the leader, everyone will scatter, and just like all these other little movements that have tried to come our way, they'll be done and over. So they, they, they take Peter, just like Jesus, to be killed via Roma, Roman crucifixion, right? He's going to a martyr's death in 67 AD. He's lived a while now. Jesus has been gone for a few decades now. He's going to his martyr's death, and, and here's what, what the kindness and patience and goodness of Jesus did to get Peter to the point of 67 AD. In 67 AD, he would look at the Roman uh, officials who were gonna crucify him, and he would say this. He would say, would you please crucify me upside down so not to be crucified in the same manner as my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He's, he had such a commitment and such a love and such a courage and bravery for Jesus and for the kingdom that he said, I don't wanna dishonor Jesus by being crucified the same way he was. Would you turn it upside down? Can you fathom that? I can't fathom Roman crucifixion, but he literally had the courage and the faith to say, turn that cross upside down. It blows my mind. And here's what I want to propose to you, because we're going to go back and look at some knucklehead moments, some hypocritical moments, some ups and some downs. Here's what I want to propose to you. The whole time Pete's going through this difficult, long, slow process called sanctification, while everyone might be judging him, while he might be frustrated and judging himself just like we do, here's the one thing Jesus, I guarantee you, was leaning on the whole time because he knows what? The end from the beginning. The whole time Peter's going through his ups and downs, Jesus is probably just whispering in his spirit, 67 AD, 67 AD. That's the guy knit together in his mother's womb. And what's going to get him to that kind of place of courage and sacrifice and bravery for the kingdom of God where he lays it all on the line is nothing other than the absolute kindness, grace, mercy, and goodness that Jesus would show him, not in the highs, but during the lows. Because there were a lot of them for him. And it's the same thing for us. This is why, again, and I've said this before and I'll say again, it's the grace of God, Titus 2 says, that teaches us to say no to ungodliness. It's the grace of God that sanctifies us. It's the continual mercy and grace and kindness of Jesus that brings us back to him. Let me just, let me just go back now that we've just, uh, showed you his last day on earth. Let me, let me show you his first day, technically, if you will, being uh, a part of the kingdom of God. We call it getting saved in modern terms. The gospels call it getting born again. Or in another place they say, crossing over from death to life. Romans would say salvation happens this way. All who call on the name of the Lord shall what? Shall be saved. And then Romans 10 goes on to say, if you confess with your mouth, confess with your mouth, we're gonna see Pete do this here in a sec, and believe in your heart that Jesus is the one, you too shall be saved. So this is literally, I'm gonna read Matthew 16, the moment where Peter gets saved. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the son of man is? Fair question. They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, maybe Jeremiah, one of the prophets. And then Jesus asked the single most important question that every human will ever have to answer at some point. Single most important question. Every other question in life, 
pales in comparison to this question if you haven't already answered it. Jesus looks at them and he asked, but who do you say I am? And remember when I said leaders just go first? Guess who speaks up? Because that's a big question. That is a big philosophical, theological question. Who do you say I am? Peter goes, I'll answer. And listen to what he says. This is beautiful. He gets this so right. He says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God, capital S son. This is his salvific moment. Remember, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, Jesus is Lord, you shall be saved. This is his moment. And Jesus just affirms that salvific moment by saying this, blessed are you, Simon. This was his name leading up to this moment right here. I forgot to tell you that. He wasn't Peter yet. His name was Simon. We'll talk about that in a sec. Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. Now listen to this. He gets a name change. This is what salvation does. It changes names for people. He says, and I, I, I tell you, you are now Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. The gates of Hades will not overcome it, period. And when Jesus says that, it's a guarantee. He says, Peter, I'm gonna do something in your life. I'm gonna build from this moment of salvation in you and through you. And guess what? Nothing's gonna get in the way of it because my plans will prevail. My purposes will stand. So the gates of hell will not prevail or overcome it. And then he says something cool, which I don't still fully understand the implications, but I like it. He says, Pete, I'm gonna give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. You remember when you were 16? A lot changed when you got those keys, didn't they? Whole new degree of freedom, a whole new degree of opportunity possibility, a whole new degree of independence, a whole new degree of trust was being put. My son just, my oldest just turned 16. My prayer life has never been stronger. Every time he leaves in the car, I just go right to my office and I get on my knees and I call down ministering angels from heaven to surround that car that he's in, right? But, the, but, but he's loving it because it, it, these keys are a statement of trust. Peter's done zero on his resume to earn keys to anything. Shouldn't, shouldn't he have a couple decades of interning with Jesus before he gets any keys to anything? You're gonna let him bind and lose things? What? It's crazy. You don't do that to kids. Peter was probably a, a late teenager or early 20-something when this moment happened. Let's, let's, let's tell the story right. What's Jesus thinking? Unless he knows the end from the beginning, right? Unless he knows when he's, changing his name from Simon to Peter when he's giving him keys to the kingdom. He's saying, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose will be loosed in heaven. That's a lot of trust, right? But you know what Jesus knows the whole time he's doing that, that the rest of the disciples watching this happen don't know? 67 AD. He knew what all that trust would bring. He also knew Pete would have a lot of really poor moments in having those keys. In fact, let, let, me just, let me just tell you this, and, th and then we'll move on, but this is important. Peter, Peter was first named Simon his whole life. In first century Judea, they would name people prophetically. Like names meant everything. We didn't just give like, my name's Chad. My, my mom named me that after a good-looking actor in the 70s named Chad Everett. I don't even know who he is. She thought he was good-looking, so she named me Chad. Thanks, mom, appreciate that. Real meaningful, right? But in, in first century Judea, for thousands of years, the Jews named their kids prophetically. Their names had meanings and they, they, they spoke that over them. Their names carried such weight when they heard it every day. Peter's name was Simon in the beginning. For years, he heard the name Simon. You know what that means in their language? Pebble. Thanks, mom and dad. Junior high is gonna be fun. I don't know why. I don't know if he was a preemie. I don't know if he's small. I don't know if it was something else. But why in the world would you prophetically name your son 
pebble. And then he's got to, for his life, thousands upon thousands upon thousands of times, hear people calling him pebble, pebble, small, small, small. That might give you some, some, some issues to work through, right? And that's all he heard. And then when, when he says, you are the Messiah, you're the, that's who I say you are, the son of the living God. When he's having that salvific moment, do you see what Jesus does? He goes, I tell you, your name is now Petra. Your name is now Peter. You know what Peter means, right? Been in church very long. It means rock. Coolest wrestling name ever. The rock. You know what it means? Immovable. Unshakable. The personification of sturdiness. I bet the disciples, when he said, I tell you, your name is now Petra, a few of them back there were like, and Jesus would have been like, and they would have been like, sorry, sorry, sir. No disrespect. We just, we've lived with him his whole life. You just met him like a year ago, maybe. And just wait. I mean, we love him. He's he's a great hang, but immovable, unshakable, the personification of sturdy. No offense, but no one's a, a hotter mess than Pete. No one's up and down more than Pete. I mean, the dude has a great heart. He'll get it so right in one moment and the next minute get it totally wrong. But, but Jesus just, just says, no, no, no. You're the rock and I'm gonna build on, on you. Why? He knows what they don't know. He knows the end from the beginning. And I, I gotta say this, he, he knows you're 6782. May look different. I mean, I hope none of us go to a martyr's death via crucifixion. Hope those days are long over. But there's something in you that's so much greater than you even know right now. And life is just about figuring that out. And because salvation is first, we don't have to get all neurotic and crazy and condemned when we're going through a really arduous, slow process called sanctification. When we're going through these roller coaster rides of ups and of downs, of successes and failures, of great holy moments and, and, and frustrating sin patterns, we don't have to get all neurotic and crazy as believers. We get to hold tight to the fact that he knows the end of our story from the beginning, that he is dealing with us as works in progress. His heart rate doesn't speed up when we're acting fools. I know people will. We get scared. We get scared for our kids. We get scared for our spouse. We get scared for ourselves. God, God's like, no, no, no. I know the end from the beginning. You just keep going. He knows your name and he changes your name. I wrote in my notes here, excuse me. He always changes your name before he changes your behavior. And you gotta be okay with that. He calls you what you really are long before you catch up to that fact. He calls me who I am long before I have the ability to catch up to the fact with my behavior. Isn't that the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ? It's so fundamentally backwards to the kingdom of this world and everything we've been taught. He doesn't look at what other people say about you. He doesn't look even what sometimes you say about you. He wholly relies on what he called you and what he continues to call you. It's not a pebble. He's a rock, whether he acts like it or not. You know, the very, here, here, let me just illustrate this for you. You know, the very next thing he does after he has this salvation moment and he gets the keys to the kingdom and he gets to bind and loose things on earth. Here's the very, I'm not skipping to another part of the Bible. This is literally starting to read the very next thing. It says, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Here's what happens next. Peter, freshly getting a new name, just went from Simon the Pebble to Peter the Rock. Look at the audacity he already has. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Y'all, let's, let's, the, the creator of the universe. 
Peter wouldn't have a voice to rebuke him with if he didn't speak it into existence. You understand that? He's about seconds into becoming the rock, the keys to the kingdom, binding and loosing, and he's already gonna rebuke Jesus. I'm sure he's got a good heart here, but he's getting it so wrong. You ever felt that way as a Christian? I have a good heart, but man, I just got that so wrong. Sorry, God. Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Not on my watch, right? Not gonna happen. He says, turn to Peter. Get behind me, Satan. And Pete's like, what? Can, can we go back to Peter? I like that one better. I'll even take Simon over that one. Like, like, I, I, but that's not, that's not what Jesus is saying. He's not saying it about him. He's saying Satan's at work right now trying to get me not to fulfill what I came to fulfill, which was the cross. Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Now, as a good parent or as a good teacher, or as a good employer, you know what you do to the guy who you just gave the, the promotion to? You demote him. Not because you don't like him, but because he's clearly not ready to be the rock to build the church. He clearly has not yet the maturity to bind things and loose things for the glory of God. So here's what I, I would assume God would do, Jesus would do in this moment. He'd say, Pete, you're still gonna be Pete. I believe in you, kid. But you're clearly not ready for this task I've given you. So I'm gonna need those keys back. Maybe later. The whole binding and loosing thing, yeah, you just tried to keep me from going to the cross, the, the sole purpose I came here, my passion. You just tried to keep me from that. I'm sure your heart's good, but yeah, you're not ready. Jesus does none of that. He's still Peter. He's still moving on. Why? He knows the end from the beginning. He knows 67 AD. He knows this is the only way we as humans and, and Pete can, can learn to become everything we were meant to be is we gotta have space to fail. We gotta have space to mess up. We gotta have space to go through this sometimes arduous process called sanctification. And, and if you're just punished through it all, what's good has that ever done for human behavior? It just doesn't work. And Jesus just keeps showing Pete the same thing he wants to show you. And the highs and the lows is just this relentless kindness and mercy. It's the kindness of God that leads us to change. It's the kindness of God, Paul said, that leads us to repentance. You guys understand what I'm saying? He takes him aside and he, he rebukes him. And then think about, remember when, he, remember when Jesus is walking on water to meet them out in the boat and they're all scared? And then he says, don't be afraid, it is I. And as soon as Peter hears it is I, he, he, he has another great Pete moment where he says, hey, can I come out with you? And all the other disciples were probably so annoyed, like, here we go again, Pete's being Pete. Pete's Peting. He wants to break the laws of science, the audacity. Jesus loved the faith of that kid. He says, yeah, come on out. Pete comes on out. You ever feel like this? You, every now and then we all get these walking on water moments where everything's just aligning and us and God are, you're taking that risk for, for his glory and you're doing something awesome for his glory and it's exciting and it's invigorating and other people are threatened by risk takers and you're feeling even the judgment of it, but you're out of the boat and you're moving towards Jesus. But we know how the rest of the story goes, right? The winds pick up. This is, this is not only happened literally there, but it's such a metaphor for us. The winds pick up and what's he start doing? It says, the Bible says he takes his eyes off Jesus and he starts looking left and right at the circumstances, not, not the creator, not the sustainer, not the one who can calm storms. He starts to look at the storms. Let's not act like we don't do that all the time, right? And it, we don't like that about ourselves. Sometimes people judge us for that, but it's a part of the human experience. And, and Jesus, there's no rebuke to Peter when he starts to sink. I, I'm guessing the disciples would have had a little fun with it. Because when you watch people taking risks of faith and you're staying in the boat, you almost hope they fail. 
Because if they don't, it's kind of an indictment on the fact that you stay in the boat. Another sermon for another day. Save that for another day, Chad. Right? But you guys know what I'm saying? But what they forget, because there probably is a sigh of relief when he's falling, going, see, we, we look at our robes, they're dry. Our pride's intact, we're dry. But what they forget is proximity. Peter's closer to Jesus than all of them. And Jesus gives them no shame, no guilt, no condemnation as he's sinking. You know what he does? He just reaches out an arm and lifts them up. Says, all right, another sweet lesson. He just went through another classroom. Rock, immovable, unshakable, unsinkable. You know why he was unsinkable in that moment? He's got Jesus. Wasn't gonna let him sink. It's not because he's awesome. It's not because he didn't make a mistake. It's because he's in arm's reach of Jesus. So he's unsinkable too. Let's add that to the adjectives of Peter. Unsinkable. Remember him praying in the garden? Or when he was supposed to pray in the garden with Jesus and he falls asleep? Then he wakes up and valiantly cuts off the ear of a soldier, defending Jesus, and then less than a day later, he denies Jesus three times. You, you feel in this human cycle right now, guys? You ever feel that? I do. You ever had 24 hours where you're so valiantly defending the name of Jesus and then denying it with your actions 24 hours later? You ever been there? I've been there and done that more than once. Thank God. Thank God he works from the best in me, not the worst in me. Thank God he changes my name permanently before he changes my behavior progressively. Thank you, Jesus, for that. And this is why we can rest in all circumstances. This is why we can remain calm in all circumstances for a city. This is why we can be at peace when the world around us is not at peace because he is relentlessly committed to you and to your future. He's committed to your today. He's committed to the healing of your past, the wholeness of your past. He never stops. He's in your past right now those places of trauma, those places of hurt, those places of wounding, those places of abandonment, the places of abuse that some of you grew up with child, while well, well, you're trying to get as far away from it, he's there weeping with you right now. He cares deeply for you. He's in your future right now, making ways like he did with me, eventually finding my wife, giving me the grace to abstain from just dating blindly and foolishly any girl that would come along so I could fit in with the rest of the fellas. He gave me a supernatural grace that I didn't even try for on my own to abstain from that world for a while so that when Rachel came along, Rachel would be there. You think he stopped doing that after that moment? No, he's making, I don't know what, but he's making a way for me and my family 10 years down the road right now. And I just got to go back to the goodness of God, my God file, and I got to remember this is who God is. He is so incredibly good. And I just end by, would, I would just end by pleading like if my kids were on the front row right now because I just, come on guys, I got emotional last service. I'm going to try not to get emotional this service, but I, I, no, I am going to get emotional. What's wrong with emotions? They're from God. I love my kids. Come on, parents, you understand this future parents is going to be the most amazing, difficult, beautiful feeling you're ever going to experience is your love for kids. It's beautiful and it's hard and it's amazing and it's confusing and I would not trade it for the world. My four kids, my love for them, I just want them to go, kids, you're gonna do some really stupid stuff. In fact, you already have. Remember last week when we talked about that, right? You're gonna do some amazingly dynamic and brilliant things. You are gonna be full of so much brilliance that's gonna be shown to you over the years. You're also going to have to deal and steward a whole bunch of brokenness, kids, over the years. And listen to me, nobody will be more relentlessly committed to your brilliance and to your brokenness at the exact same time than Jesus. Your mother and I do not have the capacity in our own selfishness, in our own sin, our own brokenness we're working through. We don't have the capacity to love you. We're gonna do our best, make no mistake about it. You're ours forever, unconditionally. But we do not have the capacity to love you the way Jesus 
and God through the power of his Holy Spirit alive on the inside of you have to love you. So please, 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 if you do one thing, kids, in this lifetime, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength, and you will taste and see the goodness of God in the land of the living. And you will go to your deathbed, breathing your last with a peace that passes understanding that can only come in Christ Jesus because you spent however many decades God gives each one of us, we spent them leaning in and trusting that he is for you, not against you, that he is good. I want my kids to know that so bad. I'm gonna spend my life trying to model that. I'll, 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 I'll preach, they listen to me preach sometimes, but who cares if my actions don't back it up? I'm gonna let them see me win. I'm gonna let them see me lose. I'm gonna let me let them. I'm gonna let my kids see me succeed, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna let them see, see me fail. And I hope what they get from all of that, all the good things I do for them, and all the mistakes I make that cost them, a few therapy sessions someday talking about me. You parents realize that, right? We all we all we all raise college funds. You also need to have a jar for therapy funds because we're part of the reason sometimes. I don't like that, it's just true. It's just true, it is who it is. That's why I want their hope in Jesus, not me, right? But I want them to know, and I want you to know today, there's a 67 AD in your story, whatever it is, it's different for all of us. That's who God's working from with you. That's your identity in Christ. That's why he's patient with you when people aren't. He's patient with you when you're not with you. His heart rate doesn't speed up when you're on the roller coaster remains because his purposes will stand the end. He knows the end from the beginning and he will get his way. That is our sovereign God. I've said my piece. Normally we end with a song, but um, we won't today because I preach too long. Sorry. Um, the staff here is so good to me and they love me, but I preach too long and they let me know. No, they, it's great. But, but I'm gonna pray a prayer blessing over us. And I just believe we're gonna walk out of here, I really do, with the peace of Christ yet again until we meet again next week. And so God, I pray your priestly blessing, what you told your, your pastors to pray over the people. And this is still your heart today. God, I pray that you would bless every single one in the sound of my voice. God, that you would keep them in the grip of your grace. God, that you would cause your face to shine upon all of us that you would be radically gracious to each person in this room. Turn your countenance towards us, God, please. And I pray that all of us would go forth and go out of these doors with the peace that passes understanding that guards our hearts and guards our minds in Christ Jesus. We pray all this in your precious name, Jesus. And all my friends said, love you guys so much. Have a great week. We'll see you next week. You've been listening to Chad Brugman with part two of the One Shot series with a message, 67 A.D. Thanks for listening.